Online radio at its best. Online radio at its best. Hey, 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 cruising star. If you're ready, map of the south. Let's do this. I'm telling you, I am first very honored that you would join me tonight. He has a very limited time spot, so we want to bring in Mr. Alan Farrell right away. Hey, how are you, Kathleen? You know what? I'm going to make you do what I do, baby. Man, what's crack a lacking, baby? What's crack a lacking? It's time for the serious side of the James Brown Show. Don't try to call me out, princess. You can take your love and true purpose and stick it. She's a bitch. You are listening to the TJRS Radio Network. This week on the serious side. Uh, I am a member of the Tea Party. I am a defender of the Tea Party. I would say that one of the greatest voices in the Tea Party is a guy by the name of Tito Munoz. He goes by the name of Tito the Builder, and he is such a strong advocate of, of why it's so great to be an American. A recent study of females convicted of crimes showed a disheartening correlation that would confirm accusations of racial injustice in the legal system. The lighter a convict's skin, the shorter their prison sentence tends to be, and the less time they serve. Good evening. This is an extraordinary period for America's economy. Over the past few weeks, many Americans have felt anxiety about their finances and their future. I understand their worry and their frustration. Good morning and welcome to the serious side of the TJRS, broadcasting live from the Smooth Jams Jazz Cafe, right here on the TJRS Radio Network. Sunday morning to you folks, and it's time for the serious side of the TJRS broadcasting live on the TJRS Radio Network online radio at its best. I'm Jay Rao. We have a great show on tap for you this morning, but as always, I'm always joined by some of the best in the business. Let me introduce them to you first up. She is the host of the True Purpose Development Show. She's also a TJRS contributor. She's the host of the Jay Rao Show and Ladies First Radio and the author of the book, Pregnant in the Spirit. Let's say good morning to Dr. Princess Odilia. Good morning, Doctor. How are you? I am wonderful. Good morning. How are you? Doing outstanding. We are so happy that you're here this morning. We hope that you are a very, very important part uh, of the conversation, and we can't wait to get into it. Yes, me too. Thank you. Next up, she is the host of Adam Art Thou. She's also the author of the book, Single Mother's New Father. Let's introduce radio and TV personality, Miss Kathleen Williams. Good morning, Kathleen. How are you? I'm doing great this morning, Jay. Ryle, how are you doing? I am doing outstanding once again. I, I just can't wait for the conversation. I just have a funny feeling that this will be a good one. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. And he is the host of the Jay Rouse Show. He's a TJRS contributor. He's also a co-host here. Let's say good morning to Mr. L.E.S. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Jay. And good morning, ladies. How are you ladies doing this morning? Oh, wonderful. Good morning. Good morning. Everyone seems to have a pep in their step, and I just can't wait to get into the conversation. So let's not delay it. Let's get right into it. First, we're talking about the Tea Party, folks. 
Is it, are we at a point now where the Republican Party is starting to get just a little upset with their affiliation with the Tea Party? Mr. Elias, what do you think? You think it's at a point now where the Tea Party is starting to wear out their welcome in the Republican Party? Uh, I would, uh, I would, yes, I would have to agree, Jay, at, at this point in time, because the uh, Tea Party is asking them not to raise the debt ceiling. They're asking them to do stuff that they would normally do. So, I mean, it, I guess it's going to be politics as usual in uh, Washington, D.C., but the Tea Party is taking it to a whole nother level. They're asking, they're asking people to do something they've never done before. Well, you know, with any type of relationship, whether it's professional or personal, Kathleen, you just can't have everything that you want. And it seems to me that, like what Mr. Elias is saying, the Tea Party is like no compromises. We don't want to raise taxes on no one. But the Republicans know, and some of the smart Republicans are saying, wait a minute, there's no way we can get a deal done without giving something. So once again, do you think it's at a point where the Tea Party has really started to wear its welcome out within the Republican ranks? Yeah, I think everybody's ready to just have a cup of coffee. They've just had they've had it with the Tea Party, but they realize, especially especially since you know the president has been on his job making a lot of speeches, uh, really breaking down this thing for the American people, the American public and letting folks know what the history has been and that, listen, we've had to do this and it's not like we can just get up to, you know, next week and not pay our bills. And he has also let us uh, see the urgency of this thing, that it has to be solved and it's got to be solved within by, the next, by next weekend. And he said that last week. Uh, so, and he's been hitting every news media. He's been hitting urban news media as well as, He's on C-SPAN, he's on television, he's everywhere. Interestingly enough, though, the last major speech that he did, I, you know, I was flipping through the stations. It was on CNN, but I flipped over to Channel 2 to see whether or not he was on, and it was uh, let's make it, not even let's make a deal. Well, the Price is Right was on. So, <laughs> so I said, now that's interesting, isn't it? But uh, he has still been hitting the ground and letting everybody know, one, this is important, not only important, it's critically urgent, and two, it's not what people would want you to think it is, that I'm just out here, you know, deciding that uh, we want to raise taxes and, and change things, that we're doing it just like every other president has in this position has done it. So let's get off our, uh, you know, Let's get off our proverbial rear ends and, and get this thing done already. We'd like to welcome all of you all who are listening from WCWK Radio, broadcasting live there as well. It's the number is 347 You can be a part of the conversation. First set, we're talking about the Tea Party and how... Party. Starting to wear out their welcome within the Republican Party. Let me go to you, uh, uh, Dr. Princess Odea. You know, the president has the power of the bully pulpit. And so when you talk about this, he has the ability to convey the message. And now what some people are saying, they're saying that, wait a minute, the president knew going into these uh, discussions that he would not get everything that he's asking for. So it's the old classic, ask for a lot, walk away with what I want. What say you? Well, you know what? I you, you faded in and out on me, so if you can repeat the last part of the question, I would appreciate it. 
Not a problem, not a problem. What I'm saying is that a lot of the political strategists are saying, wait a minute, the president knew he wasn't going to get a big deal. He knew that. Uh, but all along, the president just wanted to get the debt ceiling raised. And so it's a situation now where when he get, went into these walks, or went into these talks, I should say, he knew he wasn't going to get everything that he wanted. So the president has the power of the bully pulpit, and he is utilizing that to his advantage, isn't he, is he not? Yes, he is, as he always does. Um, as I always stand firm by um, this concept, this understanding of our president, Barack Obama, is that he is a strategist, and he does nothing, I don't believe, he hasn't, uh, I haven't seen him do something without a plan. And even though there's riffraff in the beginning of whatever, he, whatever movement he puts into place, in the end, it always bears out. So, yes, I believe that he is very clear, uh, very clear of the position of, of his opposing party, and he is working it to his advantage, as he always does. And in the end, I believe that what he wants, he will get. Because I, as a strategist presents itself, it doesn't always, it is, the individual is not always very clear, not clear, I should say, not, they don't put all of their, their, their eggs out there. They don't let you know really everything that they are really trying to, to derive. Um, they are strategists. So in the end, he's going to get exactly what he wants, and it will go into the favor of the people, mm-hmm. as he has proven <laughs> so far. Okay, three four seven eight five zero one two seven two is our calling number. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. You can talk to us here on the Serious Side, broadcasting live on the TGRS Radio Network and on WCWK Radio. Let's bring in a political strategist. Uh, let's welcome in the host of the Xfree Radio Show. Let's bring in, and also a TGRS contributor. Now I'm proud to say, Mr. Jerome Esprit. Good morning, sir. How are you? Hey, good morning, Jay. How you doing? Doing great, man. Listen, the question on the table right now is. Are we at a point, I shouldn't say we because I'm not a Republican, but I think the Republicans are starting to get to the point where they are starting to tire a little bit of the Tea Party because of the debt negotiations and things of that nature. What say you in regards to that particular question? Well, well, they they always were at odds with the Tea Party. The actual Republican Party um, has a different sense about reality and governing opposed to the Tea Party. The Tea Party really just wants to change the way of living, and so... When you have to pacify a specific group, a specific lobbying group in your party, um, it, sometimes you have to give the appearance that you are with them. And the Republican Party is never with them. Repo- Republican Party is usually with big money in Wall Street and, and, you know, banks and all of those guys. So the Republican Party has never really been with the Tea Party. Use the momentum of the people on the ground to move agendas. And so I, I'm not sure if um, the Republican Party ever really is with the, um, with the Tea Party. So you're saying you don't think the Republican Party has embraced the Tea Party movement because without the Tea Party movement, they would not have won the House uh, back in 2010. So you're saying that you don't think that they're, you think they're using the Tea Party to get their agenda across? I mean, what, what, what do you think about the, 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 you know, the uh, relationship there with these two parties? Because they are in close affiliation from what I can see. Yeah, but they, but they would um, – I, I disagree with that. They would have won the House without the Tea Party. The problem is, is that really? you need, 
Yes, you need ground. It, well, historically, what happens on every off-year election, the other party wins, and that's traditional in our politics for the last hundred years. But what happens is that when you need volunteers, when you need people on the ground, you need to find out what the dissidents are, and you need to get those guys out to give you momentum. So John McCain, doing his presidential run, had to pander because of the rhetoric that was going on on the ground. Now, I think the Republicans holistically just could not buy into it, but they had to keep quiet because the people who were actually doing the volunteer work and rattling up the other people were the Tea Party folks. And, and they're never going to go against big money. I mean, you can talk Constitution all you want to, but the problem is is that even looking at the debt ceiling, the Constitution is in favor of the president just raising the debt ceiling. It's not a role of Congress to regulate paying debt to the, of the United States. The president is technically the chief operating officer of this country, and he needs to make sure day-to-day um, uh, operations of this country go on. It's not a political move to raise the debt ceiling. They're making it political because they don't want to help the president. So the debt ceiling talks and the deficit are two totally separate things, apples and oranges, but they're making them both um, the same because the Republicans have no other leverage. So they need to use the debt ceiling to get what they want in budget cuts. But they're two separate things. And at the end of the day, the Republicans are not going to let that debt ceiling um, um, not get voted on. So the debt ceiling will be raised, um, for, but for political purposes, you have to pay to the people who have the dissidents, but you, you cannot let the country's credit rating go down because it hurts big business. So the Republicans will never do that as a party. Wow. Kathleen, let me, let me go to you here. Uh, you agree with that statement. You don't think that there's no really an affiliation when it comes to the Tea Party and the Republican Party? Say that again. Do I not I said, think that there's a... Yeah, yeah. Are you saying, you know, because what Jerome said, I hear what Jerome's saying. Jerome's saying that the Tea Party, that the Republicans would have taken over the House in 2010 without the help of the Tea Party. Now, I think I'm going to disagree with that, but I don't have the numbers to prove my point. But my question to you is this. Do you not think that there's a close affiliation between the Tea Party and the, Repub- and the Republican Party? Well, okay. Before, <laughs> before I answer that, why are you going to put me on the spot up against a political analyst? What do you mean? <laughs> like, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to do it, Kathleen. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, let me go to Kathleen. Okay. Well, anyway. <laughs> well, I, I, but, but Kathleen, in my defense, I agree that they're tight politically related. They're politically related, but they, they're just not owned by the Republicans. But go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay, so so here's here's what I think. Uh, Jerome is free notwithstanding. I will say <laughs> what I what what I always felt was that they would like us to believe that there is a very close affiliation between the Republican Party and the Tea Party. And so long as the Tea Party is making advances in the direction that the Republican Party would want them to, then they're going to ride those coattails, ride that pony until it has to split and then they're going to go off in another direction. As soon as they become too radical, and the Republican Party can say, well, whoa, 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 remember that's not really us. We just, you know, we just seem to agree on a whole lot of things, and while it was in their benefit, great. But when they get too radical, it's going in another direction. And I've seen a couple of points in the past where they have gotten a little bit too radical, and the Republican Party either just remained quiet, 
and let that thing ride out until they could get the benefit of it, or they would make a statement that would kind of say, well, wait a minute, that remember, that's not really us. And which, which to me, is the game that they always play. Interesting. And, and, and Jay, and, and I do want to say, the, the point that I, I tried to make about them not really being tight intermingled, you know Tea Party people don't vote. I just want to, I just want to make that really clear. The, the problem is that the Tea Party hijacked the Republican Party. So the ideology of the Tea Party is hijacking the party because they're pandering to them because they're getting a lot of TV time. So since they're pandering to them and they make a lot of noise at rallies, those folks still want their Social Security like everybody else and Medicare. And so you have to see it for what it's worth. If, as a strategist, you don't play to people who don't vote. And so when it comes down to it, they don't fund campaigns either. They just hijack some of those congressional seats, and so they have to play to them. They're playing to the crazies in their own party. That's, that was just my point. But that's, they won't go – they're not Democrats at all. They will never be Democrats. But they will take out the, the Republicans. They will cut off their nose to slight their faces, though. Huh, interesting. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two is our calling number. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. It's the serious side of the Jay Rouse Show, broadcasting live on the TGRS Radio Network and on WCWK Radio Online, of course. Mr. Elias, what say you uh, in regards to this? Do you agree with, with with the assessment so far, or do you have a different opinion from our two colleagues? Well, I, I agree, man. The Republican Party is going to use the Tea Party for all its worth. And then when they actually when they are they get they step out of line they're gonna say hey this is not our agenda we're gonna we're gonna step aside I mean that's what they do all the time now I mean it's, it's nothing new it's the game that they played all all along man they they use you until they can't use you anymore that's why I can understand why poor people would go uh, uh, would be a Republican man they're using poor people for what they're worth and then after they get done with them they cast them aside I mean it's nothing new. <laughs> What say you, Dr. O'Day? I agree, I agree, I agree 100% that, yes, they are using the system. And and I, I just want to say one thing, though. Again, as, as I said earlier about um, President Barack Obama and his strategy here, uh, what, you know, <laughs> we call it in the business world using other people's money to make money. I believe that they should really be in favor of what he's doing, and just as the strategist said here on on, line, on the line here today, is they're only against it because it's his decision and it's something that he requested. And I have felt that way from the beginning. Otherwise, if if it would have been someone of their party or someone they were in more favor with, they would have agreed with this decision to raise the debt ceiling and probably would have implemented some things. It would, have, it would be going very much in the favor of the request. But because it's President Obama, they are arguing it. And then the Republicans, it's all, it's all a, a, a political theater. That's what it is. The whole thing is political theater, and they're, you know, just playing, the, playing their roles. So, but, Mr. Ellis, here, here's where I want to go with this. I mean, to me, we can say political theater. We can say all these different things. We can throw all the, the, the different names out. But the bottom line is I think it's dangerous. I think it's dangerous when you have a party that's so hell-bent on causing, you know, disruption when it comes to not only to the Democratic Party but to the Republican Party as well. Because like Jerome said, even though I, I, somewhat, I disagree with him a little bit this morning on, on this particular topic, but that's okay. That's the beauty of the show. But, but I think – 
for me, they're more dangerous because they can cause problems. You know, Fox News created the, the Tea Party, I think. And so when you have a party that's saying, look, we're not going to negotiate, no new taxes, we don't care what the situation is, no new taxes, I think that's a dangerous recipe for disaster. What say you? Well, of course it's a dangerous recipe for disaster, Jay, but look, look at what you're dealing with. Like Jerome said, they are, they are a party of no. No matter what you put in front of them, they're going to say no to it. No this, no that. No, they, they don't even listen to reason, no rhyme, no reason. And, I mean, of course they're dangerous because they, they don't present any good arguments. When you argue with these people and say, hey, look, this is the reason we're doing this, it, it got to me when they said, don't let the government – uh, mess with my what with my uh, Medicare, and I did keep your keep, keep the government's hands out of my Medicare, and it was amazing to me that we had people talking like this because what is Medicare? And it, it, it's it's amazing to me that these people are out there like this, but they don't care. Jay, it's a, it's a party of no. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two is the call in number. We invite you to be a part of the conversation. It's the serious sign broadcasting live, and we're here every Sunday, same time, nine o'clock a.m., ten o'clock East Coast. And of course, you if you're on the West Coast, thank you so much for getting up so early because we start the show there at seven o'clock. Kathleen, let me roll my way back to you here. So now that the tea party's out here, and one of the things that I love about what the president said in regards to raising taxes is that he said the tax rate was higher under the Clinton administration than it was under the Bush administration. I mean, I'm sorry, it was higher than what they're proposing currently, and there were surplus jobs. But yet still, when taxes were lower under the Bush administration, we lost jobs. And so I think what it goes back to, and this is what I've always said, you know, it's basic common sense. You know, if it didn't work the first time, why do you think it's going to work the second time? What say you? I think they call that insanity. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> so, um, and uh, again, as I mentioned last week and uh, a few weeks in the past, this is, to me, a lot of it is theatrical. A lot of it. It just, you know, nothing is going to go smoothly if the, Repu- if the president says, uh, go straight, they're going to say, oh, my God, you better make a right turn. And if he says, okay, well, let's make a right turn, he's like, well, what is he, crazy? we got, we got to go straight. So no matter what, the, it's, it's not going to be just a smooth transition because there's a lot of posturing that's going on. There's a lot of rallying for votes that's going on. There's lobbyists that are in the mix. There's all kinds of uh, personal agendas, if you will, that are being played out in this thing. So it's going to come down to the – ninth hour is going to be similar to the NFL lockout. It's going to look like all kinds of stuff. They can't just get along and get this thing right the first time. So we're going to hear all the different dynamics involved before we actually come to a resolution. My hope in all of this is that the American people will be more educated and more aware of what is actually happening. So in the future, so for, for right now as well, they can put pressure on their local leaders, and in the future when they are casting votes, they will remember this conversation and know to expect 
this whole debt ceiling conversation to come up again and know in advance what we have to do about it. Because if we can say, listen, this is how we had to solve it in the past, maybe we need to make some tweaks to it, but essentially we're going to have to raise the debt ceiling. So why don't we prepare for it instead of waiting until we get to this point and then have all these fights wasting all this money to have the conversations to get to the same conclusion. Jerome, uh, you know, you know, I, go ahead, go ahead, uh, doctor. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, you know, this inspired by what Kathleen just said. I will say this, from all of the things that we've been through and as a result of President Barack Obama, not only has he made changes, but he has also inspired, I believe, more people to really get involved to find out what is going on. There are so many things that, that come about, even with this movement and raising the debt ceiling, the whole nine yards. It causes you to go right to Google, look it up, find out what's going on with our political party. And I believe that there will be, um, in, in the future, I believe that people will be more involved with their, their voting and their, their selection as a result of this. So I think that this is great. It's on both sides. We're, we're doing well, going in the right direction. You know, Jerome, uh, what I was going to ask you was, you have Michelle Bachman. Now, everyone, you know, her and Sarah Palin, they are the queens of the uh, uh, Tea Party. But here's the deal, and, you know, polls are starting to show this, that, yeah, Michelle Bachman, she can get the Tea Party vote. Uh, but the independents are not really all that impressed with what's going on, not only with Michelle Bachman, but with some of the Tea Party's points of view. So when you think about that, uh, if we go, you know, as we, as we move forward into the 2012 presidential elections, that has to be good news for President Obama, don't you think? Um, well, yeah. Any any time you have um, imbalance on one side or the other, it's always good for the the president of whatever party. But I just want to remind you guys to just remember back even when Nancy Pelosi was running the House, Congress still polls at about twenty something percent. Like, right. and it has been for years polling at about twenty. Nobody likes Congress people because they grandstand and posture all day. Now the pros- the president has work to do. So I think when you really come, when it comes down to it, I know everyone's worried about the president in 2012, but his record, like, is is off the charts. Like he he has done some things that no president has done in eight years. And so what happens is that when you see this glossy presentation of who this, who this particular president is, I don't think you're going to be able to vote for anybody else. And I think the Republicans know that. So what's going on is that they're posturing for 2016. So they're throwing red meat to the base, and the Tea Party is their base right now. And the regular Republicans, the moderate Republicans, can't do anything about this. Like, so I'm not saying, you know, when we talk about Democrat and Republicans, there are some smart Republicans, but those guys are, sh- are shutting it up because they just need somebody to knock the president down a couple of pegs so that they can actually have a shot at him. And the, like I said, for parties' sake anyway, I think the Democrats just really need – to focus on taking the House back so the president in the next four years can change all of this stuff back. I mean, whatever agreements that they have, believe it or not, this year the Republicans having the House have not put through any meaningful legislation all year, right? No. And no jobs right. are created, nothing. So you, you're looking at us cruising off of what the Democratic House did two, two years ago for the last two years prior and what the president has done, and this is all manifesting into our economy right now. They're not going to do anything to help this president. So I, I don't think the Tea Party 
is even a really big factor. It's like saying the unions on the other side for the Democrats is a factor. But as we watch the, the Republicans erode union rights away across the country, you're going to watch the union people come out to vote. So they'll influence the Democratic Party again, like the Tea Party is influencing the Democratic Party. The, right. the union, you know what I mean? The unions are being taken for granted because even as a lobbying effort, people know that they vote Democrats. The Tea Party vote Republicans. So either they're not going to vote or they're going to vote Republicans. And either way, it helps the, the president. Mr. Elias, I know you. You know the, the union is. Uh, you know that's uh, near and dear to your heart. Would say you in regards to that comment. Uh, he's right, man. We're we're uh, as a union member, we're gearing up for the 2012 election as we speak now. And uh, Jerome was 100 percent right because the Republican Party is trying to destroy the union, which to me is like the last stronghold stronghold on middle class, man. So that's what they're trying to do is destroy the middle class. So basically, the unions got to go to fight back. Most definitely, and that's what it's about. He's right. It's 31 minutes after the hour. A few more minutes left in the set. Uh, Dr. Uh, Odilia, I'll give you the last word. Okay, there we go. I had lost the signal there, but I just want to say this, that I believe that as a result of what we have heard this morning, and the, the, just the feedback that we have here, we, can, we are all very clear, and I think this will speak for many of us in the U.S. Many of us, we see exactly what's going on. And I do believe that by us having more knowledge, this will empower us, and it will also bring about change. I believe that President Barack Obama will get exactly what he wants in the end, as he always does. So we could just sit back and watch it happen. All right. Beautiful segue. All right, folks, that is it. We're going to step off for a second. It's the serious side. And keep it right here. Coming up next, we're talking about dark skin versus light skin. Different twists. Should be a great conversation. You're listening to the serious side of the TGRS on the TGRS Radio Network, online radio at its best. We'll be right back. Your resident map of the south, mom's a little Donna, kickstarting your weekend every Friday with Ladies First Radio of the Gay Rouse Show. A show for women, by women. Tune in every Friday, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as my co-host, Princess Odelia, and I discuss everyday issues and offer inspirational solutions. From the East Coast to the West Coast to all over the world, Ladies First Radio keeps it real, spreading positivity one show at a time. So come be uplifted with Ladies First Radio, the J-Rouse Show. Every Friday, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's Ladies First Radio, the J-Rouse Show. A show for women, by women.
recent study of females convicted of crimes showed a disheartening correlation that would confirm accusations of racial injustice in the legal system. The lighter a convict's skin, the shorter their prison sentence tends to be, and the less time they serve. 25 minutes before the hour, 347-850-1272 is the call and number you're listening to the serious side of the TGRS Broadcasting Live from the Smooth Jazz Jazz Cafe, and we're also broadcasting live on the TGRS Radio Network and WCWK Radio. Welcome aboard. A recent study conducted by uh, Villanova University found that skin tone had a, d- a direct effect on the length of jail sentences given to black women in the North Carolina prison system, as well as the time that they served. The research discovered that black women who were perceived to have a light skin tone were sentenced to considerably more lenient sentences, roughly 12% less time in prison than those with dark skin tones. Light-skinned black women also serve 11% less time in prison than their dark-skinned counterparts. Mr. Elias, let me go to you on this. Bottom line is is that uh, we've always had this problem within the black community, light-skinned, light-skinned, dark-skinned. And now, when you look at this from this particular perspective, this is a big, big problem because, you know, we talk about the white man, we talk about the white man, this, the white man, that, but the bottom line is, you know, we're having problems right here within our own race. What say you? I Jay, I got to agree with you on this one, man. Uh, I, I think back to uh, Fantasia and Alicia Keys. Both of them did the same thing. Both of them did the same exact thing. And they ridiculed Fantasia to no end. And, and, and I thought to myself, well, didn't Alicia Keys do the same thing? Didn't she steal another man, a, a, a man from his wife, 
and married him, and Fantasia did the same thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's evident that this is what happens, I mean, in our culture. I, I hate to say it, but it's evident. You know, Dr. Princess Odelia, you know, when you sit back and look at those statistics and you look at those numbers, I mean, it's just this complex that we have with fair-skinned people. I mean, you know, I don't know if you can trace this back to slavery times, but the bottom line is that there's clearly a difference. If you look, I don't know, closer to being white, and I'm not trying to play the race card, but if you look uh, closer to being white or have fair skin, it seems to me you get preferential treatment. What say you? <laughs> funny you should ask this. I, I, I could go, you know me, I could go on and on with many stories as it relates to this because I am a, a, a dark-skinned woman. And I will say this, it, it's, it's very true that there is, there, they, they may have differences, but you know, when I was younger, it was quite the opposite. My sister is very light-skinned and I'm chocolate, as they called me, right? And when I was younger, people always would look at me and they would say, boy, you are pretty to be black. And I always got that. I was never just a nice-looking young lady. I was pretty to be black. And my sister grew up with a complex because all my life what she would hear as we stood side by side, people made differences with us. So it is it, it it is a difference. Even my I was gonna marry a dark skinned man. I did not marry him because he was dark skinned. We just made different plans. But my grandmother, who was um, very fair and could be uh, confused with white, um, and at the time I was the black sheep of the family. I was the darkest in my whole family because my my grandmother was you know, had a lot of white in her side, and you couldn't tell the white from the, the black. Well, she sat me down and said to me, she said, now, I want you to think about your children. Now, you and him are, are dark-skinned, and you should think about your children. Now, I was offended by that, but this is so true. I mean, and I dealt with it even within my family. So, I, I mean, I don't have a complex, as you know. <laughs> yes, there are right, some okay. issues within the race. <laughs> okay. Let me go to you, Kathleen, because you are the legal strategist, I should say. Let, let's, let's ask you. you. You're involved with the legal system. Have you seen this? Have you seen the differential in treatment between, you know, women of white skin and women of dark skin complexion? If I were to talk about all of the different uh, the different ways that you see the justice system work, we would be on here for the next six serious side segments. Okay. So, you know, I mean, really, because what what I was doing was looking for what exactly did they use for this study? Because right. you know, studies can show up everything. So right. one thing one thing we do know for sure. And one thing I know for sure is that if you compare uh, African Americans, people of color, to whites and look at the prison, look at even whether or not you get convicted, we can start there. And 
then look at the prison terms, then you are going to definitely see a difference. We can look at the percentages of African-American men in prison, for example, and compare that to white men and see that it's almost three to four to one. Now, if we, now what I want to see is, okay, did they just look at complexion on this thing? Did they look, were they comparing white versus black? Well, you know, what, what was it? Did they look at whether or not who had representation and who didn't, or did they just use skin color? So, I, you know, I, I looked at all the, study, the articles about this particular study from Villanova University, and before I jump on it and say I absolutely believe it's true, I, I would need to see more. Um, there's a whole lot of conversation and has been since I can remember understanding English about whether or not, you know, dark-skinned women are discriminated against in their own race or not, and, you know, light-skinned women and what do we call this one tarpy our baby and that one red bone or yellow or whatever it is, we can we have a tremendous amount of conversation and everybody's screaming racism, one or the other. I think it actually is going to boil down to what Princess Odelia just mentioned, what was your experience? And where did you grow up? Or was it in the South or was it here or was it there or was it there? And you just end up believing what people said to you. And you carry that out in your life and that's what you draw. So I am going to, you know, I don't really want to jump on the bandwagon and say that I believe that it's true without having more information. Wait, Jay, can I say one more thing? Absolutely. Because you, you really, Kathleen, just took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say this. One thing I noticed very clearly about a lot of dark-skinned people, dark-skinned people are their own worst enemies because they assume that they are treated less. They wear the badge. That's the energy they attract because that's, that's how they are perceived. I know so many dark-skinned people who are, have their own complex of skin, and they, in them, they think that the, the white people and the light-skinned people are treated better. If that's the energy you have, that's the energy you're going to attract, and thereby you get the results that you get. And, yeah, there probably would have to be more study because I think black is black to, to if anybody who has a problem with black, they could care less if you're light skin or dark skin. I don't think that, you know, when it comes to the judicial system, I think that could be definitely further reviewed. Interesting. Let's go to, uh, from the political standpoint, Jerome. Now, you know, remember when, you know, it's called the colorism effect. And you remember what Harry Reid said about President Obama back in 2010. So the bottom line is, is that when, you know, and so to me, and I'm saying this because I, I disagree somewhat with what you're saying, Dr. Princess O'Day, because you can sit here and say, yeah, you know, white people, you view all people as just black people. That may be true, but come on, Jerome, we saw this with Senator Harry Reid when he made the comments about President Obama. Am I correct in that? Yeah, you know, um, this is a this is a really hard topic for for me, and it's the reason it is is because I I don't know you know who Niles Rogers is right from Chic, uh-huh. Jay, okay, yeah. who wrote Good Times and We Are Family and all those things. He was a Black Panther when he was 17 years old, and he said the reason that he does not write songs like What's Going On is because he's absolutely clear on where he is about race. And the problem is I am absolutely clear where I am on race, and I know it's going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. That is crazy for us to have a conversation talking about light skin and dark skin and how black people hold themselves back when you know that it's reflective. We are People who are dark skin in this country are discriminated amongst 
black people and white folks, and we know the criminal justice system reflects that. We know this. I don't care what kind of study you need. You don't need too many studies. But all you have to do is watch someone like um, um, Dr. Joy Leary um, talk about the – I can't think of what it's called now, but if you talk about just slavery – um, syndrome stuff or what's going on and how we reflect that back out, you can't always deal with the symptoms without dealing with the problems. And there are problems in this country with you having a dark complexion. It's like getting shot by the police. I, I, I would wager anybody to do a study to say when you see a black person shot by police, I would guarantee you that over 75% of the black people who are shot by police are actually dark-skinned black folks. And I would wager you to say that we already know that about 95% of the people shot ever by police are black anyway. That's why we made Amnesty International's crimes against our citizens, and we're always at the top of the list as an industrial, industrialized nation because the police shoot people, which means the government shoots black people. They're minorities in this country, so we need to deal with that, and then we can figure out what the psychology of why we look at ourselves like that. Because I know if I get pulled over, there are no sudden moves. A white person get out of their car and start talking and call somebody, and I'll get shot. So you talk about what I think about myself being black in this country generally. Mr. Elias, what say you? Mr. Elias? We must have lost him. Go ahead, I got to I got I got okay. agree, Jay. Uh, the, the bottom line is this, man. We can, we can sit here and compare it all day long and I, or whatever, but... When uh, we we compare dark skin to light skin, to me, I prefer a dark skin woman. That's just my preference. But most 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 of us uh, compare, uh, you know, Halle Berry and what's her name. But I think Gabrielle Union is a beautiful woman. But we also compare the fact that a light skin is compared to dark skin. It's been that way. Uh, customary, customarily, uh, when you used to have the uh, field Negroes compared to the house Negroes. The field Negroes were the fair skinned ones. As far as the, the dark skinned ones went out to the field. I mean, it's been this way for a long time. So if we're sugarcoating, we're sugarcoating. But the bottom line is light skinned people have always had a, I don't know, a, 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 a I'm not going to say easier time, but a, a more fair time than the dark skinned people. I don't think so. I'm a dark skinned woman. I don't think so. I really think it has a lot to do with how you perceive yourself. I promise you, because I haven't okay, had so. those kind of—I haven't had those kind of issues. I had more issues from my grandmother's side of the family with regards to how they look at you than I have out in the streets. You, you understand? I, I am—I'm 41, so I've been on this earth for a good little time here, and I haven't had those problems. I didn't have a problem getting. The jobs that I wanted when I was working for someone else, I hadn't, I didn't have problems getting the deals that I wanted and doing the business that I needed to do in my firm. I've made millions. I haven't had those problems. So I, I cannot stand here and totally agree that just because you're dark skin, there's a problem. No, I really believe that it has everything to do with how you present yourself and the energy that you have when you go before somebody. You know, it's like a dog. A dog can sniff fear even when you're trying to smile and walk past him real slow. He can tell when you are fearful. We stay stagnated way back on, on the plantations. We need to get off of it, honestly. Honestly. 
I'll meet you up at 347 is the call-in number. It's the serious side of the J. Rouse Show broadcasting live on the TGRS Radio Network and on WCWK Radio. We're broadcasting live, of course. Listen, as an HR professional, one of the things I will say to you, Dr. Princess Odea, bottom line is, is that in some cases you may not even know it. Let me tell you guys a quick story. I received a phone call from a client of mine, and he asked me the question. He says, listen, he says, do you have any other type of people that work for you? Now, at this time, the client had never met me face-to-face, and so I've been accused of sounding white, and that's a whole different show on a different day, you know, talking about that particular thing, but I've been accused of sounding white over the telephone. So, you know, we had been doing business with this guy for a very long time, so he felt comfortable. He and I had talked at least three or four times a week, and so he asked me, he says, listen, he says, do you have other types of people that work for you? And I said, what do you mean by other types of people? He says, well, you know, other types of people. And I says, no, I don't know. Why don't you explain to me what you're talking about? He says, well, you know, he says, do you have any you know, white people that work for you? Because he says, you keep sending down African-Americans, and we don't have a problem with it. And that's a lie, because if you didn't have a problem with it, we wouldn't be having this discussion. But he says, but, you know, he said, just other types of people. He said, you know how they are. I said, really? I said, I'll tell you what. I'll come down there, and we'll look at some resumes together. So I grabbed a handful of resumes, and I went down to his office. And when I walked into his office, it was as if he saw a ghost because he couldn't believe that he had been talking this type of nonsense to an African-American man. So my point to you, Dr. O.D., is this. You know, you may not see it, but trust me, I think it's going on behind the scenes. And we can sit here and say what we want to. And, Jerome, I agree with you. I think that when you sit back and look at some of the numbers, you know, and I guarantee you that if someone does a survey, based on, you know, the criteria that you laid out earlier in the set. I think that uh, what you're saying would be true. I think we would see that, uh, that you know, darker people, uh, they don't get the treatment uh, as our light-skinned counterparts. Okay, but do you think it would have mattered if you would have gone there, you would have been light-skinned and black, as opposed to you being dark-skinned and black? I mean, is that is that the question here? Because that's what no, I'm no, saying. No. I'm what, saying what, that racism what I'm is saying racist. to you. Mm-hmm. No, what I'm saying to you is, is that, and I sent light skin, black skin, you know, you know, dark, light skinned people down to him. Uh, uh, but you know, once again, and one of the things I did say to him, just to close the story out, is that, listen, let me tell you one thing. Uh, when I see resumes, resumes don't come and says, "Hey, hi, my name is, you know, Mary, and I'm black, and I'm looking for a job." Now, in some cases, people can assume that a person's African American, uh, you know, by their names. And once again, that's a different show that we should talk about in a later date. But the bottom line is that I told him, I don't care. If you could do the job, I don't care if you're green. We're going to invite, we're going to hire the right personalities. So what I'm saying to you is, is now, no one that worked for this guy knew this. This is a conversation that he was having with me. And the only reason he had that conversation with me, doctor, is because he hadn't seen me. I trust me. Had he saw me, we wouldn't be having that conversation because he would have known that I was a black guy. So, you know, all I'm saying to you is is that, true, America's come a long way when it comes to racial divide. There's no doubt about it. But we can't sit here and say or stick our head in the sand and say that it doesn't exist. That's just not a true statement. I I, I did not say that. I I never said that. Based on the beginning of the conversation, my understanding is that we're talking about dark versus light. And I said that I believe that if someone has a racial issue, then I don't believe that it matters if you're dark or light. Because okay. if, you're, if they had a problem with black people, they've got a problem with black people. 
within our race, there is segregation. Yes, there are preferences. There are people that prefer dark and people that prefer light. There are people that feel there are light-skinned people that feel they are the, they're better than the dark-skinned person. There are dark-skinned people that walk around with the complex like they're sitting on plantation, and they go about their life like that. And they will draw the conclusion that it's because I'm a dark-skinned person. So, yes, within our race, there's mental issues as it pertains. The mental slavery still resides in our mind. So, yes. That is true, and uh, and that 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 was my point. Period. Okay, it's five minutes before the hour. You're listening to the Serious Side broadcasting live every Sunday right here on the TGRS Radio Network, online radio at its best. Now, Kathleen, I, I, listen, you know, I'm surprised I haven't heard Public Enemy yet in the background. I'm just waiting for you to get in on this, and I'm just I can't wait to hear what you have to say. What say you? Well, I, I you might be shocked this morning. <laughs> I, I'm shocked so far because I'm surprised so, you haven't jumped you, on somebody by now. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, this is a this is a conversation that I usually um, I, I what is it? My name is Wes, and I ain't in that mess. I just oh, this is one of those not. conversations that I just really? kind of back right out of, and not calling the conversation mess. Don't don't take it wrong, but because I uh, what I did this morning was I uh, clicked on the YouTube video that has been very popular now, and I think it has something like, how many, 37,000 views or so. So uh, I don't know if anyone has heard about this. Uh, 64,227 views, well, minus one is mine. The Dark Girls documentary trailer. And that has been going around Facebook for quite a while in the last month or so. And it is a conversation. This is probably the most I've seen of dark-skinned women in any one documentary. So Hmm. these women, many of them are talking about their experiences and the issues that they've had to face throughout their lives as dark-skinned women. Now, they did not necessarily – I believe that the study – might have been collectively in response to this video or the conversation that has just resurfaced again. And the women, many of them, you see them crying, you see them sharing these horrible experiences they've had with their girlfriends, with their family members growing up and so forth, and how they were basically teased, tormented, and ridiculed by uh, their friends, family, and men in particular. And you also have a tremendous amount of men (laughs) that you hear in media and so forth and then there's a guy in this video here that talks about the fact that he doesn't like dark skinned women and he doesn't want he doesn't like the way he looks with a dark skinned woman on his arm. He'd prefer to wow. be out with a light skinned woman with pretty long hair and all that stuff. So I mean you know, it it's just one of the additional things that bring the conversation back up, we've had it in our community behind closed doors on numerous occasions, and now it's out for, you know, it's been out, of course, but now it's out for more people to participate in and talk about. But, again, um, it's, one of those, it's one of the conversations that is, is a sensitive one. It's hard for me to talk about it, too, so I'm echoing what Jerome said earlier. Hard for me to talk about it as well, and I sometimes try to just kind of not jump into these conversations because I don't know 
whether or not public enemy will jump out or the Jamaican woman and me. I don't know which one will appear. So I just like to just chill, you know, have a kind of glass of ice water and wait until we get to the next segment. But I really do <laughs> I really do encourage everybody to watch that doc- documentary. Dark Girls doc- dark, it's called Dark Girls Documentary Trailer on YouTube. Oh, okay. I'll, right. I'll put the link in the chat room. All right, please do. All right, so listen, uh, Mr. Elias, you know, you know, we're dark-skinned guys, uh, you know, and once again, and, and listen, Dr. O.D., I don't want to seem like I'm picking on you here because the bottom line is, is that, you know, you too, and me too, I should say, I've never really experienced racism, uh, not as far as I can see. You know, so life has been okay for me. I mean, I, you know, I think that I'm well-respected within the business community. Uh, a lot of, you know, I have uh, friends of all types of complexions, nationalities, and races. So, you know, for me, you know, it's all good. But, you know, it's the unknown factor. It's the things, Mr. Elias, that we don't see uh, that, you know, that are prevalent in our community. And, you know, in some cases, and I agree with what you guys are saying, you know, it really depends on, you know, what poll, you know, you can make a poll. Say anything that you wanted to say. I mean, so let's let's not. You know, I'm not going to sit here and discard that. But what I am saying, Miss Elias, is that you know, and everyone who's been listening to the show, you know, I've told the story time and time and time again. I told the story about when I was uh, went to visit a business colleague at a very prestigious Houston uh, um, country club. And as I, for those of y'all who may not have heard the story, I'll tell it again, and I'll apologize to those who have heard the story before. But, you know, I, I, at the time I drove a black Mercedes, uh, I, I, uh, I put my attache case in the trunk of my car. And so as I was trying to get my attache case out of the trunk of my car, it was hard for me to use the key that Mercedes has to get in there and get in my trunk. You know, and I'm, five minutes later, now I was dressed a certain time, you know, five minutes later, I mean, cops came from, everywhere and asking me all these different questions you know sir may we help you you know sir you know do you have business here sir you know is this your car uh, and you know I was polite I said hey it's my car and I said I just tried you know I showed him my keys whole nine yards and as they drove off one of the guys who drove off he says you know what that's just the country we live in man we're sorry you know but we have to react when people call and apparently he said a woman called and said there was a black man breaking into a Mercedes and so, you know, to sit here and act as if, Mr. Elias, that this doesn't exist in our community, I mean, once again, we're sticking our head in the sand. If we don't think there's, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, race, racism, not only amongst, you know, whites against blacks, that's obvious, but there's racism within our own culture. Hey, Jay, I agree. And I'm going to touch on something Princess Adelia said. She said that they said she was cute to be a dark-skinned girl. Oh, man. I've heard, that, you know, I've heard that statement so many times in my life that it's unreal. I, if a woman is cute, whether you're light-skinned, dark-skinned, green-skinned, yellow-skinned, whatever skin you are, you're cute. It doesn't matter. But when they say you're dark to be a cute, I mean, you're cute to be a dark girl, that, that in essence tells me that mentally somebody's not checking in right there and there to say, hey, look, she's a beautiful woman no matter what color she is. You know, Jerome, you know, it sounds to me it's almost like the house Negro mentality. Mr. Elias brought it up earlier in the segment. Once again, you know, and I didn't live during those times. So my only recollection of what happened back in the day is watching Roots. I mean, I don't know. But, you know, the <laughs> bottom line is he's saying that, you know, and I think there is probably some truth to that. If you were light-skinned, you were in the house. If you were dark-skinned, you were in the field. Yeah, and I, I had the, the Roots analogy. I was thinking about that. I wasn't going to say it. 
but I watched it <laughs> once in like junior high school, and I don't need to see any more lynchings, hangings. Any, I'm a strategist. I know a lot of yeah. history, and I sat in campaigns where I actually run a campaign. I can tell you specifically during Katrina, I was in a campaign office of a Republican candidate, all white folks there. Right now, I'm making a call and telling the candidate what to do. Now, I go in, and an elected official comes in and is watching Katrina on the news and starts making racial comments about those people should have left, blah, blah, blah. Now, I'm, I have a dark complexion. So if you think that I'm going to fade into the woodwork, um, you've got, got another thing coming, right? I don't have to ignore that. I don't have to say, well, maybe he didn't mean it that way. I was totally in control of that environment, so I kicked him out, cursed him out in front of everybody, and kicked him out. Because I said, if you want to know who's running your life right now, Bush may be running the country and can run Katrina. I'm running this office. Get the hell out. And so I'm going to tell you this. It is all of our responsibilities to step up to the plate when it comes to that. Because even when I was in Houston, I remember being grabbed by a police officer because I walked out of a Houston store after I was about to pull up my wallet. And my cousin said, I'll pay for it. And he paid for my soda. And I walked out of the store. And he came and grabbed me. Did you pay for that? And I just said, get your hands off me. Right? Because the issue is is that we're all assumed to be something when it comes down to it, when it comes to race. Nobody, he actually went to the store and asked him, did I pay for it? But I said, I'm not going back in there with you. You must have lost your mind. So the thing is, is that we have to be conscious of it to move forward. And as a strategy, yes, you know a lot of history and you understand these things, but you have to adjust to it as you go and not let it hold you down. So I understand what everyone is saying about you know, we have to get over it and all that good stuff. That's not necessarily true. That'll still get you shot. So you need to understand what, where it's coming from and why it's there. So that's a historic thing that comes out of slavery and all of these other Jim Crow laws and these things that they're putting on the books like voting, you know, we talked about in Ohio. All of those things are playing into race. And just like you said earlier, the president is still looked at as black because he's the closest Black, he's black, but no matter what his complexion is, racist people just see black people. So there is a house Negro thing and a field Negro, and those people who appear to be articulate, like Reed said, has a different place amongst them. And whether anybody wants to talk about that or not, it is absolutely true. You can have a problem with that or not, but hey, I can tell you, I've been in, I've been in a lot of rooms, and I can tell you, it's not for me being isolated from one side or the other that gives me that opinion. You know, Mr. Elias reminds me of the Eddie Murphy uh, skit on uh, <laughs> on Saturday Night Live yeah. when he dressed up as a white man, <laughs> and yeah. uh, it was just funny. I mean, it's a funny t- twist on it, but you know, I think it, it, the bigger message is what he was trying to uh, relate. Don't you think? Uh, I'd, I'd have to agree, man. He's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> that that whole skit, <laughs> man. That whole skit was pretty funny, man. And you're right. I mean. Uh-huh. The bottom line is, man, you know, he got everything, good credit, everything he wanted to just because he was dressed up in that fashion. But uh, to me, like I, I say, I'll say it and I'll say it again, man. We can we can sugarcoat this as much as we want to, but I, I, I've heard I've heard some of my brothers say, you know, I don't, I don't want the dark skin one. I, I like the light skin, and they, as they call them, the red bone. I, I, to me, I, I just... I, I still see it in our community, and it's prevalent. I mean, it's, it's nothing that's going to go away at no time soon. Yeah. Dr. O'D, I'll give you the last word on this segment. 
Well, I just, I, I, you know, there's a saying that says you are what you eat. I also want to say you are what you think. And if you wear the badge and the concept that you are at a disadvantage because of your color, then you attract the responses. Most the, the responses that you get in life, you are attracting it and bringing it to you. I just say hold your head up regardless of what color you are. And, yes, we do see the issues, but you don't have to wear the issues. Be very conscious of it, but rise above it. And you can only rise above it if you see yourself in a different light. And that's my final word. All right. Well said. That's the beauty of the show, folks. We can agree to disagree. All right, folks, coming up next. Was George W. Bush really that bad of a president? Don't laugh. We'll talk about it. You're listening to The Serious Side. It's Sunday morning, and you're listening on the TGRS Radio Network, online radio at its best. My best friend's sister, she had a lot of friends, just not enough time. So she got really good at texting while driving. I mean, she was amazing. But ever since the accident, Everything has changed. She still has a lot of friends, but now she has no time. Texting while driving, it's dumb, and it's deadly. This is a test. Uh, as we jump into the second set with laughter, a hearty laughter from Tommy Styles. Welcome back in, folks. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. A show for women by women. Is your resident map of the south, my little daughter? Good Sunday morning to you, folks, and welcome into the serious side of the TJRS broadcasting live from the Smooth Jazz Jazz Cafe. Welcome back. You are tuning in to the True Purpose Development Show tonight. We you are listening to the TJRS Radio
done In the past I could not ask For nothing in return But your love Come on back in the midst of a serious financial crisis, and the federal government is responding with decisive action. We boosted confidence in money market mutual funds and acted to prevent major investors from intentionally driving down stocks for their own personal gain. Welcome back. It's 10 minutes after the hour. It's the serious side of the J. Rouse Show. It happens every Sunday morning right here on the TGRS Radio Network, online radio at its best, and we're also broadcasting live on WCWK Radio. It's time for our third and final topic this morning, and uh, I'll just ask a very simple question. Was George Bush really that bad of a president? Let me go to uh, one of President Obama's uh, starches cheerleaders, Kathleen Williams. So, what do you I say? I knew you were going to come to me. You knew it. You knew it. So now, what is George W. Bush? Let's 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 look at the record from you know from year one to year eight. Was George W. Bush really that bad of a president? In a very simply, I'll just say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say uh, oh, yes boy. on that one. From okay. beginning, from beginning, to, from the Ruta to the Tudor, as they say. 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> so nothing. He didn't. He didn't do anything during his presidency that uh, that you thought was good, or you know. And I know what we're talking. We're talking about the overall. Oh yes, 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 rating, yes, yes. He did. Yeah. He did. He did something really phenomenal. When that guy threw that shoe at him at the press conference, he oh ducked like a real. No, I'm giving him. I'm giving him some props. He ducked <laughs> like an athlete. I was like, Jesus. I thought he did a really good job with that. Okay, thank you, Kathleen. Uh, let's move on. Let's wow. move on to Jerome. <laughs> Jerome, listen, as a political strategist, uh, was was George W. Bush really that bad of a president? Uh, <laughs> wow. I'm going to think this is your joking segment, but I did put in the chat room that he did move like a cheerleader, but he was a cheerleader, so I guess that wouldn't be a slam. But <laughs> I just want to say that I guess on the serious side, people are giving him credit for what's going on in um, Sudan, having South Sudan created, right? The um, right. Sudanese people. But I just want to tell you this. South Sudan has a gang of oil. We went to war because of oil, and so now I can't even say that his that that was even an honest gesture. So oh you, well, think about how much money Halliburton made and his daddy's companies and friends, how much money they made during his presidency. And so right. you're going to ask me, was he one of the most corrupt presidents or what level degree of bad president that he was by knowingly lying and torturing people? Now, if you don't know, he was already brought up on charges in Geneva um, for war crimes. So a lot of people don't know that right. he can't even travel to countries that have signed a torture convention because he will be arrested. So I don't know if I can answer that question seriously. Hmm. What about you, Mr. Elias? Because uh, <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be a very short segment. I thought it was part conversation. Maybe this is going to be the quickest segment. <laughs> Maybe we should go yeah. back and talk about dark skin and white skin. <laughs> so what say you guys? My goodness. I got to agree with Uncle Vinian, man. The only thing he did was uh, increase the, uh, the, the funding to Africa for AIDS, man. I, I can't think of anything else he did great, man. I mean, Jadison Wars uh, that we didn't, we didn't really need to be in, uh, financial disaster, I mean, I mean, the list goes on and on, man. So, I mean, Katrina, he never, I mean, I mean, come on, man. Just, dude, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much done. Um, where's the only thing I really need to call I'm a well, here, let, let me say this. Now, Dr. Odilia, one, one of the things I see a lot as I travel around the city is I, I'm starting to see these. And, I, and the reason, this is, what, and let me tell you the origin of the whole topic. You know, I was driving around, and I know in the last probably week I've seen probably about 15 different bumper stickers with a picture of George W. Bush in the back saying, are you missing him yet? And it makes me think, wow, I mean, are these people really that blinded for their hatred for President Obama, or do they have a just argument? Can they say that the nation was better off under President Bush? Now, everyone knows my answer to that question, but there are people out there who really and truly are saying, do you miss them yet? You know, I mean, so, I mean, come on. I mean, so, so that's the reason why I said, let's, let's talk about this on Sunday morning and see what the peeps will say about it. So what, what about you, Dr. O'Dea? What, what's your comment in regard, regards to this topic? Okay, okay. Now, you know, sometimes I can definitely come with uh, um, oh boy. devil's advocate. Here we go. 
yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, let's forgive the man and let him rest because he did write a book and he told us why he did what he did. He apologized. Okay, come on, come on, come on, come on, be nice. And uh, just to name a few things, guess what else he did? He was the president who declared the first ban on racial profiling. How is that? In 2003, remember, did that. So that's something nice that he did, and it's the first thing of its of its kind during any 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 presidential candidate's run throughout our history. So that was good. Uh, let's see what else he did. Uh, there's there's just there's a few things that he did. Uh, he transformed the immigration reform debate. Okay, let's go ahead and um. Okay, I see there's so much silence. I love this. He accepted record numbers of refugees. <laughs> <laughs> because you know people are probably waiting until you finish your thought. Because I know I have a lot to say. I'm just going to let you finish it off, and I know people are just okay. can't wait to get 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 listen, to you. So listen, I'll let you finish. Listen, listen. Okay. (laughs) He did not appoint justices in the mold of Scalia and Thomas. I'm just I'm reading a a list of 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 items that where are you reading this on Fox News? He accepted no, I'm not even gonna tell you. He accepted record numbers of refugees and asylum seekers. It says during the second term of okay, okay, asylum. Okay, I'm sorry. It says, during the second term of the Clinton administration, the United States accepted an average of 60,000 refugees per year and 7,000 asylum seekers per year from 2001 to 2006 under the leadership of President Bush. The United States accepted more than four times as many asylum seekers, some 32,000 per year, and an average of 87,000 refugees per year. Come on, people. Let's look at the positive. He protected the right to bear arms. He extended federal pension benefits to include same-sex couples. Um, that may be agree or disagree, whether people think that's good or not. Um, he signed an executive order banning federal... <laughs> no, we hit the wrong, hit the wrong button. Yeah, let, 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 let's stop her now. Let, let's let's just go ahead and jump in here. Thank you, Dr. Odea. Kathleen, I know you have something to say now. What say you? We just can't let well, this continue I just, well, I just woke up. I just woke up. I just, okay, there you go. There you go. I was snoozing there for a minute. I apologize, Dr. Odea. Not like I was bored or anything, but I, I'm glad. I hope I didn't start snoring. We, nah. we, we didn't really ask what did he do anything positive, you know. We could, we could add that. We could add to that. Well, he had two bell movements a day, you know. Come on, wait, seriously. Wait, Kathleen. <laughs> First of all, in, in eight years, can you not do something positive, really? Yeah, I'm sure you I'm sure you cleaned his plate or something. Jeez. Be nice. Let's be nice. Everybody has been seeing no, them. No, 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 and I think that as a community, we really need to stand up and tell truth where truth is, needs to be injected. And so President Bush, if you really want to talk about him as a legacy, he's symbolic for Southern white folks who do not want a lot of federal programming. He actually cut um, 
$700 million surplus into this deficit that we have now. So all these problems we're having now are from the access of spending money and not collecting taxes. So the reason that we're in this condition, talking about President Obama, is exactly, it's not because we were left. Right. So I cannot sit here and say to you, let's talk about the good things he, he did. I That's said how we devil's look at, advocate. But, I said devil's advocate. Let's be nice. Well, don't, 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 don't be a devil. Do not. Well, don't be a devil, though, because the, the problem is this, is that when we look back at slavery, we have people like Michelle Bachman saying, you know what, black people were, were in pretty good condition under slavery. They kept their families together oh, unless they were sold. Oh, oh wow. Right. She, oh, wow. she said that. And so, so oh, the wow. problem is, is that when we start looking at talking seriously amongst each other, we pacify white folks generally. And I just want to say that so that you know that even from the very serious side, if we're going to deal with a topic like that, don't, leave, don't let anybody leave here thinking that, okay, we have positives. He was a president, and he had a job to do to keep the country running, but he spent all of the money for future generations, and now they want to cut some old people, um, Social Security and Medicare. Like that is, that's and the this, bottom and, line. And this is true, but you know what? As we were talking before in this discussion, my thing is this. Yes, there are some things that he did, and from that you derive, and now it seems like you guys are very passionate about this discussion now, and you, it's right, you're right. There are things that he clearly erred on in a major way that has us in the current situation that we are in today. Very true. That, that cannot be refuted at all. So all of the cards are on the table. That's good. He's got ten things that he's done good out of his eight years or, no, yeah, eight years of, of term. And um, he got a whole list of things that he erred on that cost us um, severe damage. And we are blessed today with President Barack Obama. Right, but I was, I was just... Yeah, I was just making an opinion that we we are we like to downplay what somebody when somebody stabs us we say things like we didn't die and so we I, I'm saying I, I can play with this but as as a serious matter that we really kind of need to say why do we have residual um, um, problems and, and we need to look at why we're in the conditions that we're in now and we cannot overlook them by saying you know what. Yeah, you know, he was he did some good things while he did some bad things because it's confusing kids. Like I say that about the Million Man March all the time. When we talk to youth about the Million Man March, people say it's not about the minister. He, he traveled two years calling the Million Man March. D.C. Transit said 1.2 million tickets were sold on the mall. They know how much money they made, but there is still debate, if you go back in the history books, about how many people were there. We know what those numbers are just based upon tickets that were um, sold to D.C. Transit. But we won't clear those things up because we make light of the fact that these facts sit out there and we have to put those out. Even when we're playing, we have to say, you know what, this guy was a bad president. And I would – Reagan has an airport named after him. He, he put the biggest tax hike in this nation's history without it being worth and Reagan did. So Reagan, yeah. who had people getting free cheese and, and milk and all of those things because they were – they were pretty much starving out the economy on the backs of poor people. Reagan did that, raised the deficit 176%. Bush was 53%. And so as we look at those numbers, we cannot euphorically look at these guys and say, you know what, Rick Perry won't be so bad. Rick Perry will be just as bad as everybody else. 
Well, exactly, and I, I can attest to that because I'm here in Texas. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two is our call-in number. You're listening to the serious side of the TGRS broadcasting live on the TGRS radio network and on WCWK radio. We're here every Sunday morning, 9 a.m. Central, 10 o'clock on the East Coast, and 7 o'clock on the West Coast. We're asking the question this morning, was George W. Bush really that bad of a president? And as the conversation started off slowly, I think people are starting to realize that, once again, and I agree with you, Jerome, you can't can't sit here and put nonsense out about what this guy did. To sit here and say that, oh, let's give him some credit. There are a lot of people out there today who have lost homes, who are uh, jobless. Uh, give them credit. Give them credit for what? I mean, it, I mean the bottom line is uh, uh, this guy was the absolute worst president we've had in U.S. history. And it's always easy for us to go back and recollect about, oh, well, wait a minute, it wasn't that bad. You know, Mr. Elias, the Republicans, they hold Ronald Reagan, and I'm glad you brought those stats out, Jerome. They hold Ronald Reagan in this high place, you know, the city on the hill, the light at the end of the tunnel, all this nonsense. But, you know, listen, Reagan, I was in the military during the Reagan administration. You know, Reagan wasn't that great of a president either. But yet, at all, once again, they have airports, highways, and all types of things named after this individual. Of course, because he, he, he destroyed what we knew as uh, the, middle, the middle class. He signed off on all kind of things that would help uh, big businesses become what they are today, corporate greed. So, I mean, Reagan was responsible for all that. So, in, in essence, yeah, he's going to be the greatest thing to slice bread for these people because he put big businesses where they are now, where uh, up under his administration, uh, uh, CEOs have, have quadrupled what the common man will ever make. So that's why they think that. But I, I can think of one good thing George Bush did. What's that? He, What's that? He, he messed up so bad that they had to let the black man the presidency. That's what he did. <laughs> well, well, you know, well, I tell you, and you know what, and, and we can laugh at that statement, but I tell you, I work with a lot of people, and I remember this, and I've told this story before here on the serious side, and I apologize if you heard it before, but I told the story about how this man in his late 80s came to me and says, listen, he says, you know what? He says, I'm a lifelong Republican. He says, but after George W. Bush, he said, I think I'm going to give this uh, Barack fella a shot. Uh, and I thought that, you know, and I thought that that, that that said a lot, Kathleen, for a guy who was a lifelong Republican to, to make it his point to come tell me, look, I think I'm going to give this guy a shot. Because, you know, and the way I translated that, you know, Mr. Mr. Elias just said it, hey, look, you know what, this guy was so awful, even I'm going to change my stripes. I'm going to go vote Democratic because I just can't believe that we can have another wow. eight years of this nonsense. What say you? Especially with the gentleman that was uh, the the forefront of the Republican Party for that election, John McCain and George Bush were they were on similar platforms. And John right. McCain is prom was promoting Bush. Bush was promoting McCain, and you just look at that and say, "Oh my goodness, not another four or eight years, uh, God forbid, of Bush politics." And that's really where it looked like it was going, and especially when John McCain turned around and asked, you know, the diva from Alaska to be his running mate. We just knew anybody could see, anybody could see, even uh, newborn babies could tell that that was not going to be a, a good direction for the country. So, yeah, we decided after George Bush to put a dark-skinned man in the White House. How about that? Hmm. You know, I tell you, but here's the that thing. That was a I don't joke, everybody. You were supposed to laugh about that. Hello. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm laughing on the inside, guys. <laughs> oh, come on. 
Come on. Hey, Mr. Elias, you're laughing on the inside. I don't want anybody to think I was serious about that one. Come on. Okay. I couldn't, I couldn't let that slide. All right, I'm gone. Go ahead. Well, thank you. Uh, and we're laughing now. So, so, but, but here's the thing I don't get, uh, Dr. Princess Odea, that. You know, when you sit back and look at the Republican Party overall, you know, any time a party says, listen, I am going to continue to support loopholes for big oil. Now, they are making billions of dollars, and we're going to sit here and protect them. Oh, we're going to, if you tax the people who create the jobs, then they won't hire people. Well, wait a minute. That didn't work eight years ago. It didn't work Four years ago, and what I don't get, and here's why I think common sense is lacking, if, you know, and we said this earlier in the segment, if you continue to do the same thing over and over and over again and expect different results, once again, the definition of that is called insanity. How do people think that if we go back to the way Bush ran the country, you know, for for eight years, that we will get a different result? I just don't understand how people can make that assumption. What say you? Well first I, I don't I don't believe that they are even giving giving it that much thought. Um uh, yes or yes they are. Oh no 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 this this is what I want to say. Okay. When it comes if you're talking about the Republican Party. Yes. The Republican Party are so blinded by the fact that President Barack Obama is in office that they aren't even, they're, they're, they're playing political theater every day. He says yes, they say no. He says no, they say yes. They are so, it, it, it's almost like a race. They're, they are, it's, it, it's, it's this competition. It's, it's this theater that's going on. They can't even, I don't even think they can even think straight. They're just, it's, it's just, uh, let's get them. It, it, that's, how it, that's how it's played out. That's how it seems. I mean, even the, in, in the most preposterous ways, they are they are against him. So I, you know what? It's not even thought out. I don't believe that clearly in 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 regards to um, really what is what is right for the people. You know, I think President Barack Obama is the first president that I know that really, when he's speaking, he's speaking to the people, and he's doing it with. You can tell from his heart he is speaking to the people what is best for the people. That is something that is contrary to the way this country has been run because this country is run from a bunch of corporate heads. We are a corporation, and we are its members, okay? The United States is a corporation, and we all know that, and we're its members. And they are running it, the Republican Party seems to run it as, or would desire to have it run as a corporation. We are the big guys. You guys work for us, sort of speak. What's in it for us? What's in it for the big guys? President Barack Obama is saying, no, we're all, we the people, we are, and that's what we are, and yes, we can, and all of this. This is contrary. So they aren't even going as deep as what you're saying as they should be thinking about it. They're running a political theater. They're against the man that's in the office, and they don't like him. <laughs> Bottom line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, now listen, and, and, and once again, you know, we can sit here and say what we want. And, and trust me, uh, Jerome, uh, uh, President Obama has done, a, 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 I think, a very good job 
doing this presidency because one of the things that I, I try to tell people all the time, once again, we're talking simple stuff here. You know, we can sit here and make things very complex, but when you really break it down, it's all about common sense. If it took eight years to create a problem, you're not going to fix it in three or four years. But here's the deal. I'm not going to sit here and say that President Obama has done some things I haven't agreed with. Uh, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I think that when you sit back and look at what he's trying to do overall, it's hard for me to sit here and say that, you know, how can people look at him not, you know, it's just funny because one of the things, you know, we talk about health care, you know. Uh, you know, to me, health care is a God-given right. You know, I have a friend of mine who's a professional musician, and he went on tour overseas. He came back and he told me he had gotten sick overseas. They had took him to the hospital in an ambulance and treated him in the emergency room and everything. Now, keep in mind that he, is a, he was a foreign guy, foreigner, okay. He told me that his bill was 40 Four dollars. $44. This is for the ambulance ride, okay, for the critical care that he received in the emergency room. He paid $44 out of pocket. That's mm-hmm. it. Period. Yep. And so when people sit back and try to criticize the fact that, you know, I think it's everyone's God-given right to have health care. I don't care what anyone says. And you can sit here and, and, and you can't convince me otherwise, Jerome, that that should not be our God-given right. What say you? You know, I, I agree with that. And just just to put that in context, it saves us more money if everybody has health care. Now, you know, the, the problem now, and, and I don't agree with everything that the president does. I don't like to say that just because it almost it's almost like saying what are the good things about Bush because this president inherited a lot of problems generally. And so we have to remember, even what he said while he was running, he said, you have to lobby me to get what we need to have because the president is not allowed to make laws and sign them. So when we had a Democratic-controlled Congress, they should have sent him a universal health care bill. But the Democrats were scared. And so you can't control both parts of the House like that. And I think that it should wake everyone up so that when the next Democratic-controlled Congress goes in there, that they will be progressive and gun-ho about making health care universal and bringing those health care costs, because the only people who are making out are the insurance companies. And speaking of that, the reason that we're in this problem is because Bush deregulated with McCain and those guys on the banking committee. They deregulated the financial systems that we had in place since the last Great Depression. And so when they deregulated them, they intertwined all of our financial systems, which caused the problem. So too big to fail if you get a chance to see it on HBO will scare you like um, a bad Freddy Krueger movie. Yeah. You know, and, and he's right, Mr. Elias. I mean, when you sit back and look at the numbers, you know, once again, we would save money if everyone had health care. I mean, it's just I don't understand how, you know, once again, once again, how people can sit here and try to sell me. You can't sell me on this. And, you know, listen, I'm not, you know, in the state of Texas, we have to register either as Democrat or Republican. We don't have the ability to register as an independent. I mean, there are oh, some things that I've, huh? I did, you can't? I didn't know that. In Texas, you yeah, can't. Yeah, register. Yeah. Yeah, oh, man. you have to, when you go vote, when you go <laughs> vote, yeah, you can't. Jay, isn't that kind of gangster? But isn't that kind of gangster that you say identify yourself? 
as you come into this poll. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how it is. You have to either be a Republican or a Democrat. When I went to vote, it was like, okay, what are you? I said, well, I'm independent. Oh, nope. You have to be one or the other. Okay, fine. And, and, and they stamped my voting registration card. I said, because I'm more in line with the Democratic agenda than the Republican. Yeah, well, this is Rick Perry's state, and he's running for president. Uh, so, 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 you know, the thing is that, uh, you know, we in Texas think that we're a different country anyway. We, we think that we can do what we want to do. You know, Rick Perry wants to secede from the nation. So, you know, come on, folks, before you vote for this guy, I really and truly hope that you check his record out because he's a nutball. And you know yeah. what happened to the last Texan that we had in the White House? Go figure. <laughs> so, so, so the bottom line is that I still can't understand how people don't understand. Uh, when, when it comes to trying to do things for the common folk, it just seems to me that the Democratic agenda is more in line with that, Mr. Elias, than the Republican agenda. It, it most definitely is, man. That's why I was saying earlier, I don't see how a poor person can can vote for a Republican, man. They don't have your best interest at heart. Their best, their best interest is big business. That's all they care about. What can I do to make big business more profitable? How can I hurt the small man? How can I hurt the poor man? And, I mean, I, I look at some of, the, uh, some, some of the Michael Moore movies, man, the documentaries, and when I looked at France and the Americans that were over there, the health care that they had, and the fact that the government pays uh, so much of your, if, you, if you're hurt or you're all for having sick uh, uh, operation or something, the government pays so much money and so does your uh, employers pay so much money so that you don't miss any money out of your pocket. And yeah. they're not hurting. Why can't we, we're America, the biggest, the richest uh, country in the world, why couldn't we do it? Why can't we do it? I don't know, Kathleen. I mean, you know, uh, bottom line is is that uh, when we talk about George Bush and we talk about President Obama, in my opinion, it's not even a comparison. But, you know, once again, there are people out there who really and truly think that, uh, you know, hey, we would be under a better uh, – we would be in a better situation, I should say, if George W. still occupied 1600 uh, Pennsylvania Avenue. <laughs> well, I tell you, Kathleen, you are great. <laughs> we get the moral, we get the raw emotions from you. What's on your mind? What's on the sand? You're gonna react the way you feel. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. The grass is all the grass is always greener, you know. The grass is always greener for some folks, but you know, really, all I can say is, well. Okay, 347-850-1272 <laughs> is our call-in number. It's a serious side of the Jay Rouse Show. Happens every Sunday morning right here, 9 o'clock Central Time on the West Coast. It's uh, 7 o'clock, and on the East Coast, it's uh, 10 o'clock a.m. Before you go to church, we appreciate you hanging out with us, and we always appreciate you uh, spending a portion of your day or allowing us to spend a portion of your day or allowing us to spend a portion of our day with you. So, Kathleen, let me do this real quick. What's coming up tonight on the uh, – uh, on Adam Warthow. What are we talking about? Okay, well, I, I don't know how many people saw the movie, Tyler Perry's movie, Why Did I Get Married? Well, tonight we're going to be answering the question, Why Didn't I Get Married? For all oh. the people out there who are trying to figure out where their spouses are, why they couldn't tie the knot with somebody, we're going to be breaking it down for you. Is it you? Or is it, <laughs> is it just because there aren't enough men around, there's no good women anywhere, uh, you know, 
That's the question that we're going to be talking about. We're talking to Pastor Donald Lee this evening who wrote a book called uh, Married to Commitment, and he is saying that a lot of reasons why people are not married and a lot of reasons that some marriages are failing is because people don't have the skills. So we're going to see. We're going to see what, 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 how that matches out. So I hope everybody will be there and bring their comments and controversy and, uh, you know, conviction to the conversation tonight. It's going to be a good one. Sounds good. Now, let me take it around the table here real quick, and this this will definitely be the, the last uh, thought on this particular topic. Mr. Elias, do you think the Democrats will take the House back in uh, 2012? Yes, I, honestly, I do. Well, why, 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 why do you think that that is the case? Because, of, because the, uh, if the polls have shown that people aren't happy with the Republican Party and the job that they're doing. They're, they're sick of the party of being no. They want something to happen. You know, they, they ran on the fact that they're going to put, they're going to put job, more jobs, they're going to do it, David. They're going to, they're going to repeal whatever they're going to repeal, and they have done nothing. Okay. Dr. Princess O'Dea, do you think the uh, Democrats will regain the House in 2012? Yes, I do. I believe Why? that. And you know what I also believe? Mm-hmm. I believe that President Barack Obama is going to get the office again. Okay. Well, that wasn't I a question, strong, but okay. I, I know. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but yes, but, but but yes, I I I do believe that the Democrats uh, will get the office again because change is powerful. And at the end of the day, when people see the change and see the results, as this thing continues to wind down, there's been a lot that has been accomplished under the head of the Democratic Party and uh, via President Barack Obama in the short time that he's been in office to date. I believe that that will stand tall in the end, and I believe that he will actually get office again. Okay. Kathleen Williams, a lot of people are saying change, change. Where's the change? I'm still unemployed. I still don't have a job. Things don't look good for me. Why should I vote for President Obama, and why should I put a Democrat back in the House of Representatives? If someone asks you that question, what would be your response? I would say, you know what, that's a really good question. But I'm going to tell them. I'm going to tell them this, and this is this is what I have been uh, adamant about for a couple of years now. I've been looking back, just looking really, really going back into history, especially if we're speaking. If, if the person is African American, definitely I want to say to them, listen, it's a recession if you choose to participate in it, and we as a people have known. In, in, intimately how to operate in a recession. Our life, our entire history in this country was a recession. So what did we do? We built our own businesses and we created our own forms of income. And I think that is something that we have to seriously consider going back to and not expecting the uh, hand up or hand out, but really start to try and meet the needs of the people, the many, many, many people in this country. Because when I go out on the road, I was out walking this morning at about 6 o'clock this morning, and I was passed by a bunch of people on some brand-new Harleys, a Bentley passed me, a Ferrari. I saw all kinds of phenomenal cars out there walking in an area where there's a bunch of mansions. I didn't see any foreclosure signs. So people have money, (laughs) and they're spending it. So I understand that folks are losing jobs. They are not as easy to come by. But if you can find a problem that solves 
that, that solves that that needs to be solved and that people will pay for you'll be able to create an income for yourself so that's what i am recommending that people really start to do look at your god-given talents and find a different way to make some money Easier said than done, Jerome. So now here we go. I ask you the question again. Do you think that the Democrats will regain control of the House in 2012 and why? Yeah, I, I think they will. And I think it's not. it has nothing to do with the Democrats per se. It has more to do with what the Republican environment is creating for itself. They won't be able to really get their base out. Um, if it's not based on hate, but if you watch what's going on with Fox and what's going on with News of the World, those guys are under investigations for some real problems, and Fox News is being exposed for not actually being news. And so as this starts to, to um, if this, as this starts to manifest throughout the next few months, you'll find out that people are not going to gravitate towards that one-sided, point-in-the-finger thing, and um, Republicans are shooting themselves in the foot. And just generally, I just want to say, if you look at, I think I said this before, if you look at the $30 billion that Exxon made and got a $156 million rebate check from the government or Bank of America not paying taxes, GE, Chevron, and Boeing, and all those guys, you look at those guys not adding to the tax base, you'll find that it's Congress that are setting those loopholes and that people, when they're running for Congress, will start to articulate that a little more to say, the reason that we don't have any money is because we're not fair across the board and we need to collect revenue. That's the only way the federal government makes money is actually by spreading the equity. And we're, we're a really rich country, so poor people should not just be starving just because we want them to starve to make yourself feel better. So, the, so, so, the, so I think Congress is going to see a big shift because the Republicans won't have anything to run on. All right. And that being said, we're not done, folks. We'll be back with Before We Go and Chatterbox and our final thoughts as well. You're listening to the serious side of the TGRS Radio Network.
Omówione najważniejsze sprawy związane z dalszym rozwojem województwa i kraju. The week that was in the news. Amy Winehouse became as well known for her troubles with drugs and alcohol as she was for her music. The singer grabbed international headlines for a standoff with her family over going to rehab, memorialized in her hit song. In and out of rehab, Winehouse once told a reporter, rehab is great for some people, but not others. Developing now, police in Norway have one man in custody suspected in two separate attacks with the death toll now climbing to 92. The first attack took place in downtown Oslo when a bomb exploded and killed seven people. Then a short time later, a gunman went on a shooting rampage at a teen summer camp just outside of Oslo. Norway's national news agency says police are also investigating whether a second gunman was involved in the attack at the summer camp. Once they get all issues resolved and you're making major progress there, to recommend it. And then what they'll start to do is have the recertification with players reporting to team training camps, some on Wednesday, some on Friday, some during next weekend. But the anticipation is if everything works out Monday with the recommendation, then they're going to recommend to accept this. And then by Friday, them having enough votes to recertify as a union and get this league back to being a league again. It's time for, before we go, a quick look at some stories that made headlines this past week. And obviously the big news that's going on right now is the death of Amy Winehouse. Mr. Elias, man, what a tragic end to a very tragic life. They said it's the curse of the 27th, man. So we've lost uh, a lot of great performance at 27 years old, man. But, uh, man, I can't honestly say I was surprised at this, man. I, I am saddened by it, but I wasn't surprised by it. Now, Kathleen, now, are you a fan of hers? I haven't really heard any of her music, but uh, it sounds that uh, she was a great artist. What say you? I remember that song. They say I should go to rehab. No, no, no. I, I do remember that song. I have seen her on television quite a bit. I can't say she was someone I followed. I don't have her in my iPod. Uh, but I did definitely uh, was aware of who she was as an artist. And she did have a very tragic life. I was reading about it. The one thing that, you know, I, I don't want to really make any comment. Um, the loss of any life is, is very sad. But I do want to definitely say to the young people listening, listen, you definitely don't know the day or the hour that you will depart from this earth, but you do know that there are some things that you can do to make it happen earlier. So for those things, we just really have to pull each other's coattails and say, hey, you know, you're on the road to destruction, and, and destruction is real. It's real. It's not a game. This is not a game. It's your life. So, uh, you know, I definitely, I don't know what happened to Amy Winehouse. We're not saying that it was a drug-related death yet. I don't think we heard that. But we do know that for those of us who are playing around with drugs and, uh, you know, living that dangerous life, that, that this can be the outcome. So, caution. Okay. All right, well, Jerome, I tell you what, speaking of tragic events, you know, 92 dead, uh, that whole story uh, and the way that went down uh, with that man shooting all those kids, uh, it begs the, the question, where were the authorities when this happened? Yeah, you know, when I saw that story, he dressed up as a policeman and, and, um, 
and came onto the island, which gave him the access to guns and all this other stuff. That was just a tragic situation, and and it shows that in in society you can just hide in plain sight. The crazy people are actually hiding amongst you. They're not going to come out showing you ID and saying that they're crazy before yeah. they do something like that. That's right. Are you ready for some football, Dr. Princess O.D.? It looks like we're going to have football. Your Detroit Lions will be able to try to win more than six games. What say you? I say we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. And the Lions always come strong. So look out, look out. Yeah. And you know what? Yes. Well, no, I'm not even going to say what I was going to say. Never mind. But, yeah. We're going to do it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> All right, folks, it is time for Chatterbox Final Thoughts from the chat room. And as always, I'll go first. And my first comment comes from uh, Convenient Man. He says, I don't mind so much the color problems between blacks as much as Clarence Thomas, black Republicans, are racial, racist sellouts. Mr. Elias, man, who do you have? I have culture when we were talking about the... Uh the uh, Tea Party and the culture said those at the top have become ordered and the money doesn't trickle down to the poor. Okay. Kathleen, what about you? Uh, In response to the conversation about uh, the dark girls, dark women, uh, Eurochick says my son is going out with a black girl. She's the sweetest young lady ever, but both of them, her son and this young lady, suffer racial attacks. And sadly, she has to report that the attacks usually come from black girls. Wow. And, wow. Uh, yeah, I see when I talk, says, in response to the conversation about George Bush, when George Bush was in Haiti, he shook hands, then wiped it off on Clinton's shirt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, people brought that out. I mean, Mr. Elias brought that to my attention. Jerome, what do you have? Well, I have mine um, from Jackie D, who says, yes, mental slavery is still prevalent when talking about the race, um, color issue. Uh, and do you have some, do you have, do you have one more? Um, no, I didn't, I didn't bring another one, but you know, I, I, I can it. say, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, Ms. Elliot. I got uh, one from Gracious One. It says, Bush dangerously weakened American Oh, we lost him. What about you, uh, <laughs> Dr. Odilia? Close us out. What do you have? Yeah, take me on. Doctor Okay, we must have lost Okay, I have I'm I'm sorry, I have one from okay. Culture. Even a broke clock is right twice a day. <laughs> okay. All right folks, we'll be back with our final thoughts after this. Keep it right here. You are listening to the T J R S Radio Network. It's the newest show on the T J R S Radio Network. Join Kathleen Williams. You mentioned the pool. So that means my house, if I'm looking at mortgages, when you say a pool, you mean like my house and Jane's house and George's house and the mortgages from all these houses are piled up together and sold on Wall Street. And Jay Rao. And my question is, is this. I used to be in the mortgage business. And um, what I want to know is, that when you start talking about these things, now you guys really and truly believe that the subprime mortgage industry had a lot to do with where we are now. In this middle state, am I correct in assuming that? My fall was that I was made new again. I was restored 
in prison. And that was that's how far I had to get. That's what it took. It took me to to be arrested. It took me to sit in that cell. Oh, you were arrested for that? For the for the physical violence? Yes, I was. They knew where we were coming from. We both were in a really bitter, disgruntled state. But um and and really had given up on love. Adam, where art thou? Sunday nights. 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, right here on the TGRS Radio Network. Kathleen, time for our final thoughts. You're first. Listen, I just want to tell everybody, listen, if you are on the East Coast, especially in the New York area, stay hydrated. Stay cool. We have record temperatures in the heat uh, out here in New York. And if you're trying to get exercise, everybody's still trying to stay working out and so forth, please stay hydrated. Keep cool. Keep your pets inside. Look out for the elderly in your area and have a safe summer, a safe day. And join me tonight on Animal Art Now with my co-host, Mr. Jay Ryle. And ask Kathleen at 6 p.m. See you then. All right. Dr. Princess O'Dea, your final thoughts. Jerome, final thoughts. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, I, I just want to say kind of in a spiritual quantum physics way that um, if something doesn't seem right, it's just not right. So when you look at politics, watch TV or anything, just use your own sense of reason and you're probably right. Well said. Mr. L.E.S., final thought. Uh, I, I say to the government, stop with the political theater. We have so many problems out there in the world. Why are we putting our own our own credit rating on the line, man? Because you know without credit rating, you can't get anything in this world. So stop playing with people's lives and, uh, man, erase the debt ceiling. Isn't it a double standard, folks, when the Republicans run around and say they want no new taxes on people? They want to make sure that the tax code stay and remains where it is? Well, wait a minute. If you don't raise the debt ceiling, guess what? Interest rates will go up. All types of things will go up. And in turn, really and truly, they would be raising taxes on each and every last one of you. That's my final thought. So, Mr. Elias, if it's Sunday... And we're talking serious stuff. What time is it, my friend? It's time for the serious side of the Jay Rao Show. All right, folks, that is it. Thank you for hanging out with us today, and we'll see you later on on Adam Warren Thou. So for Mr. LES, for Jerome, for Kathleen, and Dr. Princess Odilia, God bless and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.